You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. <laughs> Just got to get a little pep in our step today. Blink, blink, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes it's just like that. So let's not try to be something that we're not. Yeah, I I spent a lot of my life pretending to be something I'm not. And now as a 30-year-old woman, I could care less. Well, I do care still a little bit, but a lot less than I used to. I'll tell you that right now. We love to see it. You're only 30. Oh, yeah, I guess. Only be- 30? <gasps> Thanks. You'll be 31 soon. Well, because I'm 31. Oh, as, I see. As, oh, as I forgot. Know, Chelsea's so much older you are. than me. Six months. <laughs> but her birthday's coming up, so. It is. It is. Not for long. Um, I mentioned it anyways. last week. Aquarius season. We're, well, yeah. the years when does that, of Aquarius. Do you know when that actually starts? End of Jan. We're, we're heading into mm. Aquarius. We actually won't record the podcast during that time because Chelsea will be too powerful. <laughs> so trust me, it's, it's for the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you're listening to... A very calm, cool, collected episode of Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Grace Topinka. I'm Chelsea Rowan. This is, in fact, your favorite weekly Podword crosscast, even if it is not. It is certainly the only Podword crosscast. At least that's how we self-identify, so... It's your favorite and your least favorite. It's everything all in one. We, we are a package deal. Mm-hmm. Damn, they are, making, they are making bank for this deal. We're making nothing. All we make is the bragging rights of having a mildly, <laughs> very nichely successful-ish podcast. Podcast. Exactly. Well, Do I anyone want to sponsor us? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Um, we're specifically looking at for Coca-Cola, Pepsi, PlayStation, Broadway, Cad. Yes, Broadway in Chicago, Cadbury eggs or whatever those are. Cadbury oh. eggs. What ant? What brand is that? Kinder? Are they technically Kinder? kinder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. What it is. We kinder we eggs. love a we love a Kinder egg in this household. We do, except I wish that we had the like <laughs> real ones. The know? real ones, yeah. For those Grace who know know that in the U.S. we can't have the regular Kinder eggs that has like that's like a hollow egg with a toy inside. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's its own thing though. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just want the traditional egg, but Americans can't be trusted because we can't have like tiny toy pieces in something that's edible because potentially children could eat the toys i don't know yeah i don't know we're built Uh, different over here we are built we are certainly (laughs) built different over here if you tell me something's edible then i believe everything (laughs) in the package is edible and i will eat it all so she has eaten the tide pod the packaging and the box before she's alive did anyone actually ever eat a Tide Pod or is that just like mass hysteria for no reason? I really do think it was mass hysteria. I think it was a meme started by Gen Z when they were younger. <clears throat> yeah. And uh it took off and then, you know, people he- still use that as like it's like oh well, we weren't eating Tide Pods even though like someone pulled a like newspaper articles from I don't know, the 50s or 60s where it was like a trend to eat live goldfish. And it's like, yeah, kids have always been yeah. dumb. But no one was actually eating Tide Pods. But people no, were up in arms about it. Oh, my God. I know. People, no, I know. It's I just know. so easy to, like, get people going. I know. It really is. You just got to watch, like, your uh, your local news channels and you get all stoked and bothered. 
Yeah. Um, I always say just stay off cable television. Or what is that cable? Or is that not cable? Whatever it is, those channels. That's free you get, TV. Yeah, stay off free TV. Okay. <laughs> Don't watch the news. <laughs> Don't watch the news. That's a hot take from Chelsea. Um, don't listen to me because I don't watch the news. I get all of my news from Matt, who does follow the news. Well, I read the news. Like I don't read the news. I read stuff online, not you know religiously. I know I'm getting things that's like filtered just to me, but true, true, true. I should say that it's not like I'm completely disconnected from you know politics or like current events, but I don't actively seek out the news. I used to be a news girly, mm-hmm. and it was not good for my mental health. I'll tell you that because I was scouring those news apps and just reading anything i could and like stressing myself out and now i try to like i it's like at an arm's length you know Mm -hmm. i want i want the info but only when i'm feeling ready for the info you know what i mean like yeah i get that well mm, oh our poll oh well i haven't checked up on this so i am interested to see what the results were Let's 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 head over to Polapalooza, sponsored by Pole Grace. Palooza's. It could be you that sponsors Polapalooza if yeah. you wanted to. I do. I pay twenty bucks <laughs> a month. Okay. Um, we asked our Twitter followers, "How do you keep the time when you're on the go?" And the Ooh. options were a phone screen, an analog watch, a digital watch, or I don't keep time at all. Oh. No one chose I don't keep time at all, but sometimes ah. when I make a poll, people are like, well, I don't do this. I'm like, okay, then don't vote, but I put a little right. one in there so that they can still vote. <laughs> so 50% of voters said they use their phone screen, which checks out. How many did you 30? say? Sorry. Huh? huh? Say again, how many did 50%. you say? 50%. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, that, well, that checks out, checks out. Yeah. But 33% said they use a digital watch. Okay. Okay. And then 17% say that they use an analog watch. So. Hmm. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty, that's our listeners for you. I remember this guy that I used to work with had a watch that, because, you know, we last episode we talked about watches and, or I did, talk about timekeeping, and most modern watches are done with like quartz or crystals where it's like the frequency of the quartz vibrates to you know they figure out exactly how many vibrations are in a second and so it's very accurate but this guy that he's worked with had a watch that i don't know how it worked but basically he had to just keep moving and it would like that's what would power the watch it didn't have a battery or anything yeah so like if he took it off and like had it on i think it could last like overnight but if he took it off for a long period of time it would like stop working so it was like a way for him to stay active well i mean i mean it's moving if it's just on your body even if you're like sitting around because you move your arm a little bit but Mm. it was just like something with the like being in slight motion put the little mechanisms in motion and allowed it to take on as they say wow that's it's like a precursor to steps when people you know i think people are still hot and heavy about their steps but People love their steps. I've never gotten into steps. I haven't either. Learned recently that a good friend of ours gets 10 to 20,000 steps a day. But they have a job where they're on their feet. They're on their feet. Feet. And make it happen. I feel like I get no steps, especially in the winter. Because like (laughs) when it's nice out, I'm like, well, I'll like... 
go outside for a walk or make sure I run an mm. errand. But in the winter, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, and like I, I like walking. I like taking walks. Me but too. I often feel like straddled with my dog, and oh, yeah. not for nothing. Like I love, I love Neptune. I love my dog, but um, he's not a good walk buddy. And so if I want to take a walk, it's either with myself because I have to leave Matt at home so you can watch the dog because I'm not going to take mm-hmm. the dog on the walk or we take a walk when Neptune's in school or something so that like we don't have to like worry about where he is. Well, so this dog like, is really controlling your life. <laughs> I feel like I have to I feel like I really have to plan my walks and I have people that be like, oh, you're so stressed. Like, why don't you go take a walk? I'm like, the walk itself is stressful. Yeah. That's what stressed me out. I I wish I could take a walk with my, um, I got these like new headphones that mm. are noise canceling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, I wish I could just take a walk with that and like listen to my stuff. But then I, I can't do noise canceling headphones on a walk because anyone could like come up behind me. The reality of being a woman, but. Things we have to think about. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, I could wake up early and go on a walk. But it's also kind of, you know, scary to be out there that early when not that many people are out. Yeah. So. Well, that's a different conversation. That's How for another can't just time. live their lives because we're constantly worried about <laughs> being murdered. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really interesting existence. I'll just put it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but is it time? <laughs> to... let's, let's go into some more positive uh, talk. Our hits some, and shits of the week. Sorry, our hits and shits. Which there could be some negatives, some shits. I don't have any shits this week. I don't but have any. We have we've kind of transcended shits in a way. Um, I wonder if our listeners forget or forget that we actually will sometimes do a shit. We sometimes do, but I it's, feel like we're much more forgiving now than we used to be. Yeah, we're, we've grown up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you want to start? Um, I guess. Okay, I have some from the Monday, January 9th, New Yorker, or no. This is a New York Times by Andrea Carl Michaels and Kevin mm. Christian. Mm-hmm. Um. 16 across, concept that can't be criticized or questioned metaphorically. Sacred cow. Oh, yes. I, I have, this is like another one. I'm like, I need to be using that term more. <laughs> um, you and you yourself are a sacred cow. At least that's what you should believe in your heart of I hearts. I do. Yeah. Um, 44 across, cocktail named for two iconic beverage ba- brands. I was like, what is this? And then it was like Jack and Coke. It's like, yeah, those uh, are two yeah brand names um behaved in a laid-back way acted cool oh nice i was like slept (laughs) um and weirdly enough those three clues that i really liked were part of the theme so the theme was um sorry my stomach is like growling was well Oh, I remember. This I was the was this the ACDC one? Yes. So I f- I don't know what the revealer was, but the answer was ACDC, and it was like as seen in these like four other clues, and they highlighted it. So sacred cow. There's an AC in sacred, and a um, DC in sacred cow. Same with mm. Jack and Coke. Very nice. Um, and acted cool. So that was a good one. Who knew? I have two from that puzzle. Nine across, how revenge or pizza for breakfast is best served? And the mm. answer was cold. That was fun. 
um i i was having a conversation recently with folks who were like what is the best temperature for leftovers and i was like i didn't realize this was something that people needed to have a conversation about but it needs to be like piping hot for me like i'm not into cold pizza i'm not i I could i could eat a piece of cold pizza if you twisted my arm if Mm -hmm. i had like no other options the microwave had blown up overnight but that's why you have the oven because you can put it in the oven instead but yeah no some people eat their cold their food cold like leftovers is like best served cold and i'm like all leftovers that's crazy nah well that's like i was thinking of the rest development where job is like cold pizza better than hot pizza you're crazy (laughs) (laughs) the cold pizza is fine but i wouldn't say it's better than hot pizza yeah um and then also, this is in, this is a fun fact that I learned, okay, and I didn't fact check this fact that I learned because I just learned it from another person, but I trust this other person. Hmm. So anyway, 18 across, Tennis's Agassi, and his name is Andre Agassi, right? Which mm-hmm. I didn't even know that this person was a tennis player, but uh, someone that Isn't we were- Agassi? Agassi, there it is, whatever. Okay. See, I don't even know. But this person that I, we work with is a big fan of them, you know, back when they were in their prime. Um, and, you know, they're known for their hair, right? Like this big, beautiful kind of like mullet shag type cut with a headband. Apparently mm-hmm. it's a hair piece. It's a hair piece. Time. I think it was like a whole time. There's like a, a famous bald tennis player. That's not him. Well, he's bald now, like a fully bald mm-hmm. now. Okay. Well, then maybe. Because we were talking about hair pieces, me and this person, and yeah. they told me that this tennis player yes wore hairpiece and they found out later like through watching like a documentary on him or something and i was like he's got his hair's amazing in all of these older photos i feel like some of our listeners might take this as a as a shock yeah or they they might be like yeah everyone knows that right you're you're an idiot yeah well the best of both worlds um those are what i had from that puzzle Um, i feel like i know andre agassi because he was a character you could play in virtual tennis on the Dreamcast, oh but I feel like he God. was bald in the game. I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. You should. I'll I'll start my next hits and shakes. You should look him up and look. You know what? You know the hair I'm talking about. Yes, 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 yes. yes. All right. Okay. You you go on. Okay. Friday, January sixth, New Yorker, um, by Christina Iverson and Katie Hale. Uh, I liked forty nine across. Quote: Blank the means of production. Text on many Marx inspired memes, and the answer is C's sees the means of production just some subtle uh messaging there for everybody uh 40 or sorry 64 across vegetable that produces sulfenic acids when cut and the answer is onions um i did a topic on onions a little bit ago if you're curious to know more about onions let me know i usually put the topic number in my my notes here but for whatever reason i did not it's a pretty good topic i think uh we learn a little bit about tips and tricks of how to stop yourself from crying when you cut an onion, etc. But this, the, the acid that comes out of the onion when you cut it is similar to like a gas that they would use in warfare. Like that's how painful it is. So don't feel weak when you cry to an onion. It's like, it's like being on the battlefield. In the Just know that I rarely ever cry to chop an onion. So get <laughs> strong. You- if you rarely cry, that means you've got a good knife, mostly. So anyway, um, I learned something new. This is another one of those things I feel like you would pick up 
and put in your lexicon. 65 across, or down, yuck, in Minnesota. And the answer is ish. So you would say ish instead of yuck. But with, I'd have to say with the Minnesotan accent, which yes. I can't do. You'll have to practice then. All right. Next week. <laughs> uh, and then that's all that I have from that puzzle. So, yes, it, it is. A, he is bald <gasps> now. Um, I'm not going to go to too big of a deep dive, but I'll re- read a quick quote from an article on Talk Sport. Mm. There's a quote. Uh, okay. I prayed my hairpiece wouldn't fall off. How tennis legend Andre Agassi, who won the lot, lost the 1990 French Open final because of a wig. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Poor guy. I, from the quick research that I did, I gathered that he actually did once have a nice mullet that he was known for. Maybe and then he went bald and he felt maybe he felt like he had to get the hair piece to like, yeah. keep his image. <clears throat> but he looks great bald. I mean, he's yeah, he's an attractive guy. I feel like. I'm not bringing up his hairpiece to be derisive. I think men should wear hairpieces if they want. Okay. Yes. I'm obsessed with watching the TikTok videos of the people. Because, like, toupees now are so, like, they look so real. They're so real. There's probably somebody in your life that is wearing a hairpiece that you don't even know. Um, But I feel like, you know, obviously men struggle with self-care, acts of self-care. And I feel like sometimes could let themselves go like lose their hair or just shave all their hair off if they start going bald instead of like you know maybe they don't want to shave their hair um and they're but they're too uh ashamed to like get a hair piece there's literally nothing wrong with getting a hair piece i think Mm -mm. it is a positive sign if you decide to like take you know the time to like find someone to do a really nice hair piece for you and make you look really good and make you feel really confident about how you look so um Grace and I were we just talking the other day. Yeah, you, you're more than welcome. We were just talking the other day about how we would just buy wigs if they weren't so expensive. Like I know. And if they weren't so hard to, like, put on and make look real. Exactly. You know, it's an art. And I just don't know if I have the time to learn how to do that. But it would be nice to be able to. I mean, that's how the Kardashians do it. That's why their hair always changes. Yes. A lot of people are wearing wigs or hair pieces that you don't even know. And that's because they have money. Um that's how you keep your hair looking real good. Anyway, um, I'll just move it. Do you want to go? No, no, you go, you go. I'll do another Friday, uh, but this is the Friday, January 6th, New York Times, by Erica Sangwochik, or Wasangwochik, sorry. <laughs> I cry. Um, this is a good puzzle, though. Um, one across, I really liked the opener. Remark made after catching someone by surprise. It's just me. I have like such I have such a jump scare. Yeah. So like Matt is always like, It's me, your boyfriend of ten years, walking through the apartment that we live in together. And I'm still I jump out Shocked. of my skin. Yep. Um I some learned something new again. Fifteen across indoor swimming pools. Uh Natoria. Natatoria is what they're called. Like Natatoria or Natatorium. Is mm-hmm. what you would call a swimming pool inside. Hmm. That's something like, to sound really smart in front of people. Yeah, it's like I didn't even know that they had a name for that. Have you been to the natatorium? <laughs> right. It sounds like something very Victorian, you know. Yeah. Uh let's see. I like I like when I see things like this in the puzzle. Twenty seven across with thirty nine across. Answer to the question, who's the solver of this puzzle? And thirty nine across uh, was C27 across, of course. So the two answers are 
you are. So the answer to the question who's solving this puzzle is you and are. You are spread across two clues. Fun. Uh, and then a 12 down hot take question mark. The answer is a love scene. <gasps> nice. Yes. Uh, let's see. I did the January 11th New Yorker by Amy Lucido. A bunch of great clues in this, of course. Classic. We, we can always expect that from Amy. Um, 46 across. Pets that do well with sitters, question mark. And the answer is lap dogs. Cute. Um, okay, three down. Type of routine that might include 35 down and serum. 35 down. The clue is three down staple. And the answer is toner. So three <gasps> down is skincare, a skincare routine. Nice. Um, nine down. Clash of clans, question mark. Family feud. Ooh. 26 across. Incremental measures, question mark. And the answer is rulers. Cute. <laughs> um, 22 down, bumpkins, and the answer is rubes. I love that word. Yeah. R rubes, but I also just say Rubicons, even though I know they're not related, but they just work so well. It just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. Sounds right to me. Um, that's all I got for that one. Amazing. Uh, another New Yorker, the Monday, January 9th, New Yorker by Natan Last. Again, learning. I feel like I learned so much this week. 14 across, male guinea pig is called a boar, B-O-A-R. I didn't realize that. Me neither. I thought a boar was just a giant pig, but... Yeah, I guess not. I guess I was wrong. Um, and then 31 across, this is hilarious, and this is something uh, that ties me to Grace in a, in a funny way. Animal sound uttered by Doja Cat more than 50 times in a 2018 viral novelty song. And the answer is Moo. Moo. You showed me that music video. Before Doja was like who she is now, you like, uh -huh. have you seen this music video? And I was like, what? No. Yeah, and you showed me a that. couple of her other music videos. I was like, this woman is amazing. Um, but I'll never forget that. And then Doja came back a couple years later. Well, she, you know, a couple years later now she's amazingly popular. Not that she wasn't then, but I feel like she was doing more viral songs then or like, you know, meme type songs. Um, I feel like her, well, I don't know. I liked Tia and Tamara. That was like one of the earlier ones that came yes. out, I think. Yeah. I think she had one, not just Moo. There's another like animal themed one, maybe a cat themed one. Mm, could be. Can't remember. It's been, it's been four years now. Five-ish years. Um, five down. Speaking of tennis greats, service centers, question mark, was tennis courts. Very good. Nice. Uh, another fun fact that I learned here, 16 Down, first rap track to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it was Lose Yourself, which is like, oh, duh, of course it's Lose Yourself from 8 Mile, but just interesting that that was the first rap song to win an Academy Award. Have there been other rap songs to win Academy Awards since? I don't have that answer, but that is the question that immediately hmm. came to mind. Uh, 25 down, person responsible for some monkey business, question mark. And the answer is zookeeper, which is cute to me. Mm -hmm. But that's what I have from that puzzle. Um, okay, I just have one more puzzle. Okay. The January 10th. No. 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 Oh, yeah, it is. Definitely not. Okay, <laughs> January 10th, New York Times by Emily mm. Rourke. Um, I love the opening. 
rent character was one across rent character who sings light my candle and the answer was mimi there you go and you guys know i'm in my broadway era it's still going strong so strong I love that song um and then i liked the theme of this one 39 across fictional feline from japan or how one might greet 17 24 54 65 so the answer was hello kitty and then the other clues were 17 across was titular anim- animated character whose theme music is by henry mancini and it's pink panther so it's all like Cute. famous cats mm-hmm. 24 across serial mascot who says they're great tony the tiger mm. 54 across oz resident lacking in courage cowardly lion and 65 across lewis carroll character with a disembodied smile cheshire cat Cute. Not Cheshire Cat. It's Cheshire Cat. Cheshire Cat. We learned that from our English listeners. (laughs) It's not Shire like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I always find that very funny. Like, you see that with other words, too. Like, there's a city in Connecticut called Greenwich, but it's Mm -hmm. obviously it's spelled Greenwich. Yeah. Like, why? Why are you doing this to me? Um, I love Hello Kitty. I wish I had done that puzzle. Maybe well, I would have done Hello Kitty as a topic. Maybe I would have done, but I didn't have done. Uh, the last puzzle that I did was the Tuesday, January 10th, New Yorker by Wine Lou. I liked 57 across. Has feelings for in that way. And the answer is like-likes, which is cute. That just reminds me of um, Hey Arnold. Which one? Whichever I just feel like they would say that a lot in Hey Arnold. Like, oh. do you like Lila or do you like like her? Oh, right, right, right. Cute uh 62 across brand involved in a 70s soda for vodka trade deal with the soviet union answers pepsi Hmm. hilarious also another fun fact uh and then five down low level access question mark was pet door um and then six down bounce back question mark was twerk fun Nice. And the last fun fact of my hits and shits, 10 down, uh, food whose name means twice baked. The answer was biscotti, which I didn't know. Hmm, me neither. The more you know. I learned a lot. A lot of fun facts for everybody today. That's what I, that's what I got for my hits well, and shits. Then that means it's only time for one thing. It is time to flip the coin. Flip the coin. I'm flipping the coin now. It's tails. Me? Oh, wow, I wasn't expecting this. All right, all right. Let me get set up now. You are gonna hate me, but my topic comes from the January 10th New York Times by Emily Rourke, 39 across, fictional feline from <gasps> Japan. I'm so glad you're doing Hello Kitty. Could have been you, but it wasn't. It was me. I was actually worried that you would be doing this. If you uh, saw it, I think you would have done it because I for sure would have. Chelsea and I, we were together on New Year's Eve and we were watching like the live ball drop and then they had, they did like an old SNL episode and they did a Hello Kitty sketch, which <laughs> revealed some interesting facts about Hello Kitty. So now I got mm. to, you know, look into them a little bit further and teach you about them. So. I'm really excited. I love, I'm a Hello Kitty girl. I mean, like, I don't know much about the lore of Hello Kitty. Mm-hmm. I just think she's freaking adorable. I love all the Sanrio, like, kawaii type vibe stuff. So. I I am so easily, like, sucked in by anything cute. Like, yeah, the cutie, cutie, sunny babies, like any Hello Kitty, all the Sandra. I'm like, I need to be getting more of this because I, I know 
They're adorable. You know, sorry, fun fact for you, the group that we saw earlier this week, the concert mm-hmm. we went to, they did a collab with Sanrio and they had all of them were made into Sanrio characters. Oh my god. And and I'm just like, you're this is exactly the type of shit that I need because this is all I care about. Well, Sanrio loves collabs. Um they should collab okay, with so, us. Yeah. Maybe they'll sponsor us. <laughs> so Sanrio is the company behind Hello Kitty, if you don't know. And I'm talking mostly about Sanrio, but mm. Hello Kitty is like their biggest product. Mm. So Sanrio began in 1960 Japan when a man named Shintaro Suji created a company in Tokyo called the Yamanashi Silk Center. Hmm. As you can guess from the name, they sold silks. Okay. Um, in 1962, they expanded and started to sell rubber sandals. But in order to set themselves apart from other competitors, they leaned into a very complex business strategy, hmm. being cute. Oh. <laughs> um, or kawaii, which is like cute in Japanese. Mm. They started to paint cute designs on their sandals, and they quickly saw the sales increase. People especially loved their range of strawberry-themed patterns. So they were like, okay, this is working. People like this. They used existing cartoons for their merchandise. And then in the late 1960s, they acquired the Japanese licensing rights to Snoopy and began making shoes with Snoopy on them. Oh, and you like the peanuts too, right? You like Snoopy. Yeah, I love Snoopy is so cute to me. Oh my God. It's like worlds colliding. I know. Um, so they saw that this was like super successful. And then they decided to hire um, actual cartoonists to create cute designs and original characters that they could use. So that they wouldn't have to worry about, like, licensing. Mm. Makes f- sense. Yes. The first um, character was Korochan, which is a brown bear with a yellow tummy and cheeks, and he's very cute. Mm. Um, in 1969, Sanrio Greetings was formed, and this company started to put characters and designs on affordable but cute gift products, a.k.a. the Japanese version of Hallmark. Cute. And, fun fact, in 2020, they launched a website for Sanrio Greetings. For all your greeting card needs so definitely check it out it's not just like hello kitty stuff it's just very cute greeting cards oh um and then in 1973 the yamanashi silk center finally changed its name to sanrio and mm. why sanrio what does why? that name mean yeah well the company actually has two different explanations on their website depending on if you're an english speaker or if you're um Japanese or potentially Chinese as well. That's so, hilarious. in Western marketing material, Sanrio says that the name is derived from the Spanish words San and Rio. So, according to that, Sanrio would translate to saintly river, which doesn't really make sense, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Japanese marketing materials, the company says that the name is based on an Onyami reading of its original company name's kanji. So, an Onyami reading is the Japanese approximation of the chinese pronunciation of the kanji character so again I don't ah. know, like, it, you know i'm guessing some of the characters are very similar and so then they just take like the chinese pronunciation of the characters so the the name yamanashi of yamanashi silk center in onyami is sanri mm-hmm. and the company then added an o to the name because it reflects the sound of a person a person makes when they're excited so sanrio <laughs> Cute. Um, the newly named Sanrio moved its headquarters to a different district in Tokyo, and Sanrio Greetings was folded into this new company, and then they also set up, like, a film production. Of course. As one does. Um, or, yeah. In 1975, that's when Hello Kitty first 
came onto the scene, but she wasn't Hello Kitty yet. Um, Sanrio just released a clear plastic coin purse with a large headed cat on it in the words hello written above her head. That's how she started. Oh, I want that. <laughs> it's really cute. I mean, I don't think you can get it, but you can see pictures of it. I want it. <laughs> the character was designed by Yuko Shimuzi in 1974, and they would just call her Kitty White. Cute. In 1975, Sanrio also started using that film production arm that it created. They produced their first animated feature called Little Jumbo, and then they went on to create, like, a bunch of more cartoons with Hello Kitty that I didn't realize, like, Hello Kitty oh. was a cartoon I didn't either. Show. Yeah. Um, in 1976, Sanrio opened their first store in the United States in a mall. Of course. Um, in San Jose, California, and then they also... Like, pretty quickly after becoming Sanrio, like, within a year, they opened up a U.S. headquarters or U.S. company in San Jose. Smart. Um, That's how, like, popular Sanrio became that mm, quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, They continued to be popular through the 1980s with Hello Kitty starring in cartoons that were popular in both Japan and America, mostly catered to children and teens. Mm. But in the 1990s, Sanrio started making retro products aimed at older audiences. This is when we came into the picture i don't know like my mall had a sanrio store i didn't okay well we would go to that i definitely like i don't know i didn't realize hello kitty was that old i was like oh hello kitty's like a 90s thing no in the 90s she was a retro thing oh my god that's so funny our age saw her as like something made for us i didn't start Um, liking hello kitty until recently because i think they used to sell some hello kitty stuff at hot topic because Mm -hmm. like they, they sold some, like, you know, anime, manga-type yeah. stuff there, and they would put the Hello Kitty stuff close there. And I was like, I don't have a hot topic for black clothes, not pink clothes, but I am, like, over that period of my life, and I'm, like, obsessed with Hello Kitty now, so. I used to have, like, I used to have a bunch of Hello Kitty toy like, plushes, and then my sister always <sighs> had um, Pachaco, which was the dog who I'll get yeah, into later. Yeah, yeah, but, mm-hmm. um, Okay, so they basically decided to aim these products at children but also um to adults who maybe couldn't afford hello kitty when they were children um or who just you know liked hello kitty when they were children now they can have them as adults in america stars like mariah carey paris hilton and britney spears were seen wearing hello kitty merchandise this coupled with the quote cool japan phase of the late 90s and early (laughs) 2000s meant that the brand quickly gained fans in america appealing to both children and adults Mm mm-hmm um, since then, Sanrio has waned a bit in popularity, but it's still hanging around. In 2020, Shintaro's grandson, Tomokuni Suji, took over the company. Tomokuni has the same birthday as Hello Kitty, November 1st, which is just a coincidence. Cute. Um, but let's get into some Hello Kitty slash Sanrio fun facts. So, Please. This is about Hello Kitty herself. She was born on November 1st, 1974. They gave her an actual mm-hmm. year, which... Mm-hmm. Probably shouldn't do because now she is technically 49 years old. Um, <laughs> she's a Scorpio. She's like in the cartoon, she's supposed to be around eight. She's like perpetually eight, but sometimes mm-hmm. she's older. So I don't know. Okay. There's not like hard and fast rules. Yeah, their lore's a little loose, loosey yeah. goosey. Although they do say that her blood type is A. Blood type's I'm big in it's Asia. It's not like sugar or something. Oh, yeah, you're right. If you want to learn more about blood type, um, in Asia and how I, I don't think it's as popular anymore, but there was a time where it was kind of considered similar to like astrology. 
You can well, listen to our blood type episode, <laughs> episode 15, Reduce the Juice. <laughs> it's a great title, yeah. by the way. Your your topic was spam. Oh my god, this is a good that's a good topic. Mm-hmm. I well, like when I watch like K-pop videos, they off they're always like, "Well, what's your blood type? What's your blood type?" It's like hugely oh, popular. So it's still popular. Okay. They they take blood type MBTI is hugely popular in Korea specifically, and it's like they use that as a way to like determine compatibility and personalities and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know, know my blood type. type. Yeah, I don't even know. Um, <clears throat> due the due to the popularity of British imports and culture at the time that she was created, she Hello Kitty is not Japanese. She's actually British, and she's from the suburbs of London. Okay. Yeah. So she's British. British. Her height is five apples, and her weight is three apples. <laughs> and apple pie is her favorite food. Okay. But maybe the most shocking fact about her is that she is not a cat at all. She is a girl. A 49-year-old girl. <laughs> Who's eight years Sinrio's, old. Yes. Sinrio's <laughs> website says, Hello Kitty is a cheerful and happy little girl with a heart of gold. Sanrio went further to clarify for like an exhibition that they were having in the States about Hello Kitty. You know, I forget what she, like the person putting it together said something about potentially her being a cat, but Sanrio corrected. was like, no, she's a girl. She says, Hello Kitty is not a cat. She's a cartoon character. She's a little girl. She's a friend, but she is not a cat. She's never depicted on all fours. She walks and sits like a two-legged creature. So they kind of said it. It's the same way that like, Mickey Mouse isn't a man, but he's not a mouse. Type okay. Thing. But I feel like he is a mouse. He is a mouse. But I don't know. Think of the way like Goofy is a dog, but a human. But Pluto. Goofy is just has a dog. a dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into because Hello Kitty also has a cat. So. But before oh we get into her having a God. cat, we have to get into something else that I didn't know. <laughs> she has a twin sister <gasps> named Mimi. Wait, so is Mimi, this a. Tell me. Go ahead. She looks just like Hello Kitty, except that she wears a yellow bow and it's okay. on her right ear. So uh-huh. maybe she's gay. Because that's a, you know, if you yes. believe in that, that's a thing. Because <laughs> Hello Kitty wears a red bow on her left ear. So Mimi wears a yellow one on her right ear. But she's not as popular as her twin sister. So hopefully she's okay, okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, their parents' names are Mary and George. Very British. Very and much so. her mom uses the bow ties to tell the twins apart. That's classic twin behavior i love it Mm -hmm. um hello kitty has a pet cat herself who acts more like a cat she's on all four she doesn't wear clothes her name is charmy kitty cute charmy spelled with two m's Mm. she was a gift from um, hello kitty's father and charmy wears the key to her treasure chest around her neck she's very cute she but she's a white cat too but she looks like i love it they gave her more fur like if you see you know, like her tail mm-hmm. is floofy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charmy also has a sister, <laughs> a twin sister. Okay. Named Honey Cute. So that is a cute name. Yeah. All the names are adorable. Um, Hello Kitty has a childhood sweetheart, Daniel Star, who is also a human cat. Um, <laughs> Daniel likes piano and animal photography, and he later went to Africa with his photographer father. After traveling around the world, he and Kitty are reunited in New York City. So, Cute. I don't know how old they were when that happened. Eight. Um, yeah. <laughs> Daniel got Hello Kitty a pet hamster named Sugar, okay. who gets along with Charmy. So she has two pets. Okay, good. Hello Kitty does not have a mouth. I mean, she does, but it's not, it's only shown like when she's eating. It's not mm. normally part of her like appearance. 
Okay. According to the founder, quote, the common thread running through all our various business is the idea of giving from the heart and of the heart. Hello Kitty's mouthless expression encapsulates the idea of speaking from the heart rather than the mouth. Okay. okay. Actions speak louder than words. So we talked about Hello Kitty collabs and how they love to collab. So this mm-hmm. is some like interesting Hello Kitty things that exist. And there's so many. This isn't even like scratching oh, the surface. God. But yeah. in Taiwan and Shanghai, there's Hello Kitty maternity hospitals. So apparently there's a lot of competition between maternity hospitals. So they did like a Hello Kitty themed one to attract Cute. clients. One of the hospitals has 30 beds, each covered with a Hello Kitty branded blanket. Cute. The nurses wear Hello Kitty branded uniforms, and even the birth certificates feature images of Hello Kitty. The newborn babies are wrapped in Hello Kitty blankets, blue for the boys and pink for the girls. The walls of the hospital are painted baby pink, and there's a statue of Hello Kitty dressed as a doctor in the entryway. And yes, this would work on me. Like, I would be like, I need to give birth there. I'm like, do I need to get pregnant to give birth at this hospital? Like... (laughs) It's so cute. Like, just the pictures of it are so cute. The the Hello Kitty doctor statue is enough to really yeah. seal the deal for me. So, mm-hmm. um, In Taiwan and China, there are Hello Kitty beers and flavors such as banana, peach, passion fruit, and lemon lime. Cute. There's even a massive Hello Kitty theme park in Singapore. I did know that, yes. And I am curious. Mm-hmm. Very but curious. But it isn't all fun and games. <gasps> She's sometimes used as punishment. For a time in 2007, police officers in Bangkok had to wear Hello Kitty armbands if they committed any infractions. Oh, my God. And there's been other drama as well. So do you know Miffy, the little bunny? I think so, yes. You you may have seen her on TikTok. She's a cartoon bunny. She looks very similar to how, like, Sanrio characters are. Mm -hmm. Well... In 2010, Dick Bruna, the creator of Miffy Comics, sued Sanrio because Bruna said that Hello Kitty's rabbit friend, Kathy, infringed on the trademark for Miffy, and they do look very similar. Hmm. Sanrio fought this, but a Dutch court agreed with Bruna and demanded that Sanrio stop producing Kathy products in Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Hmm. Okay. And then, in 2011... Um, after the Japanese earthquake, Sanrio reached a deal with Bruna where Sanrio agreed to stop producing Kathy products globally. Both Bruna and Sanrio then made a joint donation to support people affected by the earthquake. So that was kind of a nice thing. For yeah, us, that's for them to do. All in all, I think, it, I mean, the earthquake, nobody won with the earthquake, but, you know. No. Um, what about Hello Kitty's friends? Yes. Yeah, tell me about friends. her friends okay. or besties. Well, there's Chaco Cat, who is a black cat with a brown nose, hence the chocolate in his name, unlike your brother who has a black lab named Perky, (laughs) which makes no sense. (laughs) So true. So true. It literally doesn't make sense. Like, that's for a brown dog. That name is for a brown animal. You should start start shit with him next time he's in Chicago. Maybe. But anyways, yes, Choco Cat is a black cat, but he does have a brown nose. Mm. His whiskers are able to pick up information like antennae, so he is often the first to know about things. Cute. So cute. Okay, Kuropi is another one of my favorites. Mm. Is a frog character with big eyes and a V-shaped mouth. He is a fantastic swimmer and singer, but not at the same time. (laughs) He was probably my second favorite growing up. Um, Pachaco, that's the one my sister had, a white dog with black flappy ears. He kind of looks like Snoopy. So cute. He is often dressed in athletic attire as he has a sporty and playful personality. I remember that we had these plushies that were like the, their 
fabric or whatever was kind of made out of like windbreaker type material. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like, I feel like we only had those types of stuffed animals from Sanrio. But yeah, my sister had a Pachaco and I had a really big Hello Kitty one that I was obsessed with. Cute. Okay, then there's My Melody, who is a white rabbit. Her name is My Melody. My is included, M-Y. She's a white rabbit who wears a red or pink hood on her ears. And she's very, like, cutesy. But she has oh. a rival named Karomi, who is also a white rabbit that wears a black jester's hat with a pink skull on the front. <gasps> yes. Yeah. This was one You're of the ones that you could get at, like, mm-hmm. to Hot Topic. Because this one was kind of, like, a little bit more of a goth hello kitty moment and they kind of had the like crossover yes i know exactly who you're talking about. i love how there's there's like the two rivals that'd be okay. a cute like uh i don't know not halloween, halloween costume kind. but some some sort of yeah like couple thing or bff thing tattoos even okay. hello <laughs> um okay then this is another this is another one who is also popular at hot topic bad bats maru he is a male penguin with spiky hair. You would recognize him if you saw a picture. His birthday is April 1st, April Fool's Day. Uh, and Aries. Yes. He is one of the few Sanrio characters that, that is marketed to both males and females. Um, so his name is Bad Bats. You recognize him? His mm-hmm. name is Bad Bats Maru. So Bats, um, Batsu is a term for X, the cross signifying a wrong answer. Maru means circle or O, which signifies a correct answer. Thus, his name figuratively means wrong, correct. And okay. He is frequently represented by XO. Mm-hmm. So if you ever see like him with an XO, that's why it's part of his name. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, there's also Hello Kitty contact lenses. There's a Hello Kitty convention. And there is a Hello Kitty plane. They collabed with an airline to make a Hello Kitty or a Sanrio plane. And it's the cutest thing in the world. Oh, how do I get on that plane? <laughs> Hello Kitty love is enduring. Lady Gaga, like, you know, was famous back in the day, but even currently, Lady Gaga once wore a dress made out of Hello Kitty plushies. Katy Perry Mm -hmm. also has a Hello Kitty tattoo on her middle finger. Marty Brockstein of the International Licensing Industry Merchandisers Association said, quote, nobody has been able to replicate the kind of global fascination with a character set as Sanrio has done. Hello Kitty struck a chord. I'm going to end with a quote from an article on CNN.com by Sophia Yan called How Hello Kitty Built a a Massive Business Empire. This is just from the article. Okay. In just the past few years, the company has aggressively catered to older fans, launching collections under luxury jewelry brands Swarovski and Mikimoto, makeup lines at beauty chain Sephora, a Hello Kitty mascot for baseball team Los Angeles Dodgers, Mm -hmm. and even a Hello Kitty 5K race in Singapore. The company's approach certainly worked on me. When I was a kid, my mother bought me a Hello Kitty dining set. It reminded her of Hello Kitty items she had growing up in Taiwan. As an adult, I now get a kick out of owning practical Hello Kitty items. Frying pan, kitchen knife, calculator, because it reminds me of my childhood. And that's Hello Kitty. I mean, it's been enjoyed by generations. And now I'm like, I want to get Hello Kitty themed kitchenware. Yes. We should see if there's a Sanrio store around us. I don't know if they still exist. Yeah, I, I know, know we could go to Hello have... Kitty in New York City, but I don't know if they still have brick and mortar stores. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. at that mall that we, if they maybe. have one at that mall that we're going to. What are you doing Sunday? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hello Kitty. No, it's there is a Sanrio in Woodfield, but it's permanently closed. Ah. Uh. Although at that mall, I think we're 
No, no, no. No, 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 no. They might have a hot there's... topic at that mall, and then there might be Sanrio stuff there. Yeah, there's a stuff is coming up like um a Hello Tokyo store. I don't know if they would uh, carry like some Sanrio products, but no, it doesn't seem to be like a full Sanrio. No more store Sanrio. Store. Sadly, sadly. All right. Well, um, if you know of a Sanrio store, let us know. Let us know. Cause I'll go. I mean, obviously we've got Google at our fingertips, but we're not finding anything. But I if you know some secret cat. knowledge, I know. Or Bad Bats Maru. Anyway. Anyway. That's anyway. Amazing. I'm so glad you did Hello Kitty because, like you said, if I had seen the Hello Kitty topic, I would have done it. But I didn't, mm-hmm. so I was nervous that nobody was going to do it. <sighs> but you can, always, you can always count on Grace. I've always said that. So my topic comes from the January 10th New Yorker by Wynalu. 22 Across Self-Proclaimed Title for the Hong Kong calligraphy artist turned folk hero, Song Cao Choi. And the, na- the answer is King of Kowloon. Hmm. So I was like, what is this about? I've never heard of this name, <laughs> never heard of King of Kowloon. So I was like, let's do the King of Kowloon. So uh, I looked up pronunciations for these names. I, well, it's mostly just this artist's name, so I apologize if at any point i mispronounce it but uh sang Tsao choi also known as the king of kowloon was an artist who wrote chinese calligraphy throughout the streets of hong kong beginning in 1956 uh born in uh, 1920 1921 november he's a scorpio as well uh in guangdong china <laughs> as what? well as hello kitty yes and my father and my one of my brothers i'm just <laughs> surrounded by scorpios um uh sang sao choi moved to hong kong in 1937 uh, and it was on a trip to his clan village in yuan long that song reportedly discovered what he considered important ancestral documents that stated that the land of kowloon once belonged to his family and was annexed without compensation by the british government okay pause that's a lot of information that I just gave you. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give you like a very, very, a blip of background information about what was going on in China slash Hong Kong at the time. Hong Kong is different than China technically. Um, so Kowloon encompasses the northern part of Hong Kong uh, on the mainland across from Victoria Harbor. Okay, just in case you have any, that's ge- geographical information for you. Kowloon was, quote, acquired by Britain in 1860 and returned to China with the rest of the colony of Hong Kong in 1997. If you want to know more about this part of Chinese history, you can look into both the first and second conventions of Peking. Uh, This is a very dense part of history. Mm -hmm. The history between Hong Kong, China, and then, of course, to the Western world is incredibly complicated. Cannot get into it. Um, But the first convention of Peking was essentially three treaties between China and Great Britain, France, and the Russian Empire made in 1860. Uh, in China, these treaties are not called, well, they're called the, conven- uh, the Conventions of Peking, but they are also called the, quote, unequal treaties, uh, essentially referring to the fact that these treaties were reached after a military defeat or a threat of military invasion, uh, and they contained one-sided terms requiring China to cede land, pay reparations, open treaty ports, 
give up tariff autonomy, legalize opium import, and grant extraterritorial privileges to foreign citizens. So, all of this happened in 1860, and this guy, the king of Kowloon, when in like the 1930s, 1940s, he discovered what he claimed was ancestral documents stating that the land of Kowloon, which is one of the areas acquired by Britain in these treaties, actually belonged to his family and was taken away from his family without any sort of compensation, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's how it kind of ties back to this guy. Uh, yeah, that's just the tip of what the hell was going on at the time, but look up the, you know, more if you're interested. So this so-called discovery of ancestral documents that Song claims to have found is really the beginning of his career as an artist. Okay, that's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1956, he began writing calligraphy in public spaces, claiming to be the king of Kowloon and accusing the British of stealing his land. Uh, he used uh, a wolf hair brush and painted Chinese calligraphy directly on the walls he believed he'd lost. Um, so Chinese calligraphy, also known as shufa, uh, is an ancient practice dating back to 4000 BC. It's a rigorous literary discipline as well as a highly sophisticated art form, okay? And so the king of Kowloon was only educated for two years at the age of nine, and it's likely he taught himself how to write later in life. Um, uh, And an important part of shufa, or Chinese calligraphy, are the four treasures, so the brush, the inkstone, paper, and... um, What's the other one? And ink. And sorry, okay. Um, But he didn't use the four treasures for his calligraphy. He instead uh, used a common brush, cheap bottled ink, and any available surface that uh, would hold the sticky ink that he was using. Sorry, the four treasures are brush, ink, stick, paper, and ink stone. So the ink stick is what you would rub on the stone and it would kind of like melt the ink and then you could use that ink with the brush on the paper. Anyway, okay. So he didn't use the four treasures. He used cheap ink. And he would write on literally whatever he could find. Um, He also wrote extensively in marker on long rolls of cheap paper, uh, writing almost constantly, and some say almost automatically. Uh, And this is an interesting fact. After moving into an elderly home in 2004, his nurses forbade him from using the Chinese ink because it was really pungent and smelled bad. Uh, And so he was limited to writing exclusively in marker after he kind of moved into this elderly home. Um, yes he's probably the most well known he's probably most well known for writing on Hong Kong's like like they're not I wouldn't say they're famous but they're known for these gray electrical boxes Um, but he would literally write on any surface available to him um, and any material he could find walls bridges lampposts signs posters lamps t-shirts tea kettles paper wood panels cars and more so what are the things that he would write Uh, His writing included dates, locations, family ancestry. He would write, at times, all 21 generations of his family, like in one graffiti piece, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, He'd write curses. He would write things like, fuck the queen. Uh, And most often, he he would write his claim to the land of Kowloon. He would call himself the king of Kowloon. He would accuse the British of stealing his land, Mm -hmm. his family's land, etc. The the language he used was fragmented, omitted punctuation, and typically repeated the same themes and phrases across all of his writings. Um, 
He followed and he both followed and broke literary form. So his text would flow from top to bottom, but not always from right to left as it should have in Chinese. You read right to left. Um, so he would kind of he took the form of Chinese and he'd play around with it, you know, like he'd write it top to bottom. But like instead of reading it right to left, he'd write left to right instead. And so people would be like, this guy is illiterate. This guy has no idea what he's talking about because people weren't initially thinking that he was an artist. They just thought he was a crazy guy. Um, <clears throat> anyway, okay. So he played with uh, character scale and composition. He varied the sizes and even laid large characters um, across multiple smaller characters. Uh, it was a way that he would demonstrate like an understanding of um, graphical wordplay and word placement. Mm -hmm. um, he would often swap Chinese numerals with Romanized ones in the same text. He would also include Arabic numerals. He he was like doing all sorts of like mishmashing with different languages. Um, uh, and he would, an important thing is he would only paint on what a lot of uh, articles called crown land. So land that was owned, quote, owned or had been acquired or was under the power of the British government. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then when Hong Kong was given back to China in 1997, he continued his graffiti practices on Chinese governmental lands. So he wouldn't write on like private property necessarily, but like more of like as a political statement, he'd write on governmental lands um but then of course cleaners would always come out and clean or paint over his calligraphy but overnight the words would come back so an interesting part of him being now a famous artist is that like most of his work is gone because mm -hmm. it had been written over or painted over and you know he would come back and write it again but it just get painted over again and eventually he became old and he couldn't go back and write over things so a very limited amount of his work exists now out in the wild and also for collectors because he was writing since 1956 and most of that stuff has like has been covered up. Although I did find an interesting article about how um, there are places in Hong Kong now where the paint is like peeling off and you can find old pieces of his work. And so when people find those, it's like, holy shit, let's get this to Sotheby's and make a killing, you know, or mm -hmm. like, let's find a way to protect this and put like plexiglass up and like, make this like an outdoor art piece in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought that was interesting. Um, a notable quality of his work was that his penmanship wasn't very good. Remember, he only had a couple years of schooling. Um, because but because he was so persistent in his writing and because his misshapen childlike calligraphy was so recognizable, recognizable, he became a household name first people loved him they were like oh this guy's interesting like kind of kooky you know but okay um but then they grew tired of him or even disdainful of him he didn't fit the look of what you would call a quote normal person um he would wander the streets often uncleaned uh he was toothless uh he didn't wear a shirt a lot of the time he was a rubbish collector which is like um a lower wage job, you know, you mm -hmm. kind of go and you would collect bottles and cardboard boxes and you would take them to the dump and like get money. So it was like a lower wage job. Mm -hmm. um, he struggled with mental health issues and he'd hop around on crutches with plastic bags swinging from the handles. So like people on the streets were wary of him. They didn't want to be on the same side of the street as him. Parents would protect their kids from him. Um, they would call him crazy in the street. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, his name was often used as a way to bully kids at school, something you'd call the weird kids, the poor kids, or the outcasts. Mm. 
Um, and then from a, a, an awesome article on The Atlantic called Chasing the King of Kowloon by Louisa Lim, I'm just going to read you a quote. Quote, he'd had only two years of formal schooling, and he advertised that educational deficit in every crooked character that he wrote. His writing laid bare all the flaws and idiosyncrasies a proper calligrapher would have tried to suppress, but that is what made it memorable. His words were a celebration of originality and human imperfection, with a who-gives-a-fuckness about them that was genuinely inspiring. He broke all the rules. This, too, was a facet of Hong Kongness. The city was an in-between space, a site of transgression, a refugee, or a refuge where behavior not acceptable in mainland China was permitted and even celebrated. End quote. So some people were disdainful of him, but other people saw him as like uh, a way to um, express kind of how Hong Kong, you know, was shifting between political powers and who was actually in control of Hong Kong. Where did people from Hong Kong belong? Were they Chinese? Were they totally different? Like, were they not Chinese? Like all of these questions, um, a lot of people gravitated towards him because of he was like a personification of all of those feelings. Um, mm -hmm. So this spirit of Hong Kong, this Hong Kongness that Lim referenced in her quote here in her article is called the lion rock spirit named after a popular television series about a squatter colony living in at the foot of a local landmark. Um, and there's a rocky formation resembling a Chinese lion crouching down poised to leap. Also from Lim quote, to me, Lion Rock Spirit translated to a willingness to fight and protect my values, no matter how powerful the opponent, end quote. So that's kind of like what the King of Kowloon was representing to a lot of people. Uh, let's see. In 1997, writer Lao Kinwai curated the first solo exhibition of the King of Kowloon's writings at the Goethe Institute in Hong Kong. The exhibition raised questions about whether he was actually an artist or should be considered as of an considered an artist uh, and whether his work belonged in a gallery. He was a graffiti artist, remember? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but later that same year, his work was included in the landmark Cities on the Move exhibition curated by Hans Ulrich uh, Obrist and Hao Hanru. Uh, and the show traveled to uh, the PS1 in New York, which is the MoMA's, which is part of the MoMA. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then to Hayward Gallery in London, the Louisiana Museum in Denmark, and many others. His work was also included in Johnson Chang's 1999 Power of the World Traveling Exhibition and in the 2003 Venice uh, Biennale curated by Hal Hanru. He also made cameo appearances in several films and television ads, inspired fashion designers. The 90s and early 2000s were like a lot of Asian designers specifically used his writings as like patterns on clothes and mm. he became very popular during that time. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Uh, he, da, 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 da. he was featured in many articles in the New York Times, so on and so forth. Uh, by the time he passed away in 2007 from a heart attack, he had made an estimated 55,845 pieces of public work. Damn. Most of which are lost because of the you know first of all lost to time or just painted over or destroyed or mm -hmm. cleaned away um at hearing the news of his death the residents of hong kong were distraught one newspaper said the king is dead and everyone is missing him another said the king is dead and his people are crying and wailing uh i'm going to read you another quote from that same atlantic article quote for so many, his words served as the first articulation of an uncomfortable instinct they couldn't quite voice themselves. It's a little bit like our political situation. 
one one commentator told me, uh, and then parentheses, I have withheld their name to avoid any repercussions from Hong Kong's draconian national security law, and then continuing the quote from the commentator, the land was owned by the British and is now owned by China. It's supposed to belong to China, but most Hong Kong people, they don't identify with the Chinese government. In some way, they still think that Hong Kong is a colony, a colony of China. So what Tsang Sao Choi did is something they want to do. The king was speaking for his people. Um, end quote. Soon after his death, his work started disappearing off the streets and appearing at places like Sotheby's uh, until the King of Kowloon's work was the most valuable art pieces coming out of Hong Kong. So he's like, it's, it's interesting to me, like, we see this a lot with artists or authors or people we talk about on the podcast is like they've had such a difficult life and then mm-hmm. once they die that's when they yeah. become popular and it's, it's it's a shame because he was a rubbish collector he lived in a really small cramped apartment and like and he was ostracized calling... from his community i mean people he like, was would yell now, at him and stuff and now that he's gone people are like oh but he was a representation of what it means to be from hong kong and obviously we can't really talk too much to that experience but no. It seems but, to that experience seems to transcend for many artists that you know they're ostracized and then they're beloved after they pass on. Well, I think it's because they like don't fit in into society, <laughs> so no one wants to like you know deal with them basically. But then once they die, it's like then it leaves people to be able to completely control the narrative and like yeah this persona. Even who knows if, how like true it is to the actual person who lived and was you know having a hard time. Right. Uh, the King of Kowloon is considered one of the world's greatest graffiti artists. His work can be seen through the lens of an outsider uh, as outsider art, protest art, contemporary Chinese calligraphy, and even performance due to the public nature of the art, right? Another quote from, I'm going to end with two more quotes from the Atlantic article by Louisa Lim. Quote, a prism bends and separates white light into a rainbow of colors. Once pro-democracy protests filled Hong Kong streets in 2019, the King's story refracted into variegated narrative stripes that illuminated the city in ways I had not anticipated. Like the story of the protest movement, his, his was a David and Goliath tale of a doomed rebellion against an overweening power. Like his story, the story of the protest movement has evolved into one about erasure, about who gets to tell Hong Kong's story. Throughout their history, Hong Kongers have been minimized in or even completely removed from official accounts told by their successive rulers. Hong Kongers have never been able to tell their own story. None, that is, except the poor, sad old king, quote, that last free man in Hong Kong, as he was called by the writer Feng Mei Yi. To think or write about the king is to consider his preoccupations, territory, sovereignty, and loss. He had publicly raised these issues at a time when no one else dared think about them. His very name held within it a rebuke to Hong Kong colonizers. He was the original sovereign, and Kowloon belonged to him. End quote. Um, yeah, I got most of my information from that incredible article. Louisa Lim actually wrote, lived in Hong Kong for a very long time, wrote a book about the king of Kowloon. Um, there's obviously Google's art and culture, you know, Website mm-hmm. is incredibly helpful as well. Um, and then there's an article on Art Basel called Long Live the King of Kowloon by Phoebe, Phoebe Wong, which I also used. Something that I was like looking for in my research is like, was he actually the King of Kowloon? Like, did his family actually own this land? Mm-hmm. And 
that information is essentially lost to time. Louisa Lim talks about how the further into his life she dived, the mm -hmm. murkier it got. He knew so many people. He had so many family members. And literally every single person she talked to gave a different account of the family history and of the King of Kowloon himself. And so mm -hmm. she was like, nobody agreed on anything. Everybody hated each other. And <laughs> it was impossible to, to track down the truth. But the, the truth that she did find was that he was the first or one of the first people to vocally speak out against this colonization that was happening to them and you know there's obviously other people at the time but he was doing something in the public space he was making the public uncomfortable he was doing it constantly um and when something's in the public eye and it makes the public uncomfortable they become that's why he was probably ostracized you know like they were people were being faced with the uncomfortable reality of their colonization and he was just a guy on crutches with no teeth and people were like what is this guy doing um anyway yeah i thought it was pretty interesting and i would recommend looking up his artwork because it's really cool yeah it cool. looks awesome and you can be um, like oh i would definitely see this on a on a t-shirt i can understand why the fashion designers were into this <laughs> yeah yeah that's the king o'calloon learn something new every week on this podcast you and really? we hope that you do too <laughs> Uh, it all comes down to keeping curious, which we mm -hmm. urge our listeners to do time and time again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, continue keeping curious. And if you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. Or TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Stop by, say hi. We'll be around. We'll see you. We will be around. Yes. And uh, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then... Goodbye, Goodbye, my fine feathered friends. Goodbye. Goodbye.